The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this, the sixth day of August in 2023. Our engineer, Brian Graves, is right across the way, as always, with us. I'm happy to welcome you aboard tonight. Glad you could take the time out to listen. Uh, We've got a great show lined up for you tonight, as always. In the leadoff spot, we'll speak to a friend of the show. He's been with us in the past. The PA voice of City Field, Colin Cosell, will join us. And in the second half, we will switch gears, as we do from time to time, bring you someone uh, from another side of the world of entertainment. The maestro of the Stratocaster will step in. We'll welcome in the great Ingve Momstein, who will be coming to the area soon. So sit back. Relax, get comfortable, throw into the log on that fire pit. Enjoy this edition of Sports Talk New York. As always, a great show, great people, great sports memories up ahead tonight. I'd just like, just like to take a moment to mention social media. As always, we are on Facebook. We're out there. Give us a look. Give us a like. We are on LinkedIn. We are also on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk, and you can follow me on Twitter, at B. Donahue WGBB. And if you happen to miss a show, which I know none of you would uh, would really do that, that's not a nice thing to do, right, Brian? Uh, you can hear the show on our website at am1240wgbb.com. Listen to them at your leisure and enjoy, folks. Well, our first guest he is one of the public address announcers of City Field. He's been there since 2018. The other, of course, being the lovely, gracious, and talented Marisol Castro. Uh, there's always someone out there wondering, and I'm going to tell you right off the bat, yes, he is his grandson, all right? Now, we thought we'd take advantage of a road weekend for the Mets, and welcome into Sports Talk New York, Colin Cosell. Colin, good evening. Hey, Bill. How are you, my friend? Great to be on again. Thanks for having me. No worries. Great to have you with us. Now, I just want to bring up a point. I don't know if you caught any of the series in, in Baltimore. Uh, if, if you didn't, don't worry about it. Uh, but uh, what I have a sore point with is James McCann. I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with getting him out of town at all. I, I, I was all for that. But w- when he was here... He couldn't hit a bull in the butt with a base fiddle. And all weekend, he's destroying the Mets. Things like that. And I don't expect a a positive or negative response from you, Colin, but that irritates me. Travis Darno, he irritates me. And I just wanted to get that off my chest. Now, yeah, I don't blame you. If, if you want to have a therapy session with me, I'm ready for you. All right. Yeah, I think I'm going to need it real soon. Now, uh, talk a little bit about the memories of your grandfather, and how did he impact your career? Well, I, uh, very quickly, I just want to address the James McCann thing. Go ahead, yeah. The Travis Arno thing. And 
Uh, because it's something you brought it up, and it's something I was thinking about this morning. You know, when you just kind of you're cooking breakfast and you kind of get lost in thought. And I was thinking to myself about this series, and I did not watch the uh, the, the final game of the series with the Orioles today because I just I, I've got family in town. It was a beautiful day, and there's just better ways to spend a Sunday. But yeah. um, it's this uncanny thing that when a team unceremoniously uh, sends a player away, cuts a player, DFA's them, what have you. There's always that that first game or that first series back where that player is able to exact the revenge and play in a way that is well beyond themselves. And I wondered to myself, <laughs> James McCann, if if someone could have psychologically just prepared him for every single game, uh, just saying, you know, you know, the Blue Jays are in town. I know they're in the AL East or not even the NL East, but they were saying terrible things about your family, James. You know, like it, they really you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. unthinkable, unspeakable things. You need to exact revenge and then go out there and crush five home runs on four at bats. And it, it seems to happen, and it's universal across sports. Uh, some players have the number of a certain team. Some players, when they, they come back to play against their old team, uh, they, they really get at them. And it's just one of those anomalous things that I'm like, you know, in the words of John Sterling, and as a Mets employee, I have nothing but respect for, uh, for John. You know what, Susan? That's just baseball. That's it. I mean, you know, and but it always seems to be the Mets, Colin. What's that? It always seems to be the Mets that they send these guys away and they come back to burn us. It's true. Watching Darno win uh, win a World Series was like, wait, is that really happening right now? Yeah, Um, I mean, so many countless players, and I and I get that. But uh, performance wise, you know, what they do once they leave the team, that's one thing. But performance wise, when they come back. Uh, for that first that first series of games uh, against their old team, I, I'd say a good. Like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'd say a very hearty percentage. I'd say at least three quarters of those players have at least one outstanding game in that series, or uh, you know that kind of revenge game. And that was James McCann this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, good for him. It's not like they're winning a World Series this year, so good for him. Let him have a weekend. Whatever. We're in a rebuild. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's move ahead, as we say, Colin. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, Howard Cosell, yep. uh, memories of him, and how did he impact your career? So it started when I was five. Um, you know, I, I I knew my grandfather did something. Uh, I didn't understand exactly what it was, but I knew what radio was. I knew what television was. I was told Papa was on the radio and on the television. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Um, now, every summer, my grandfather graciously had uh, my siblings and my mom out to his summer house in West Hampton Beach. Uh, the same for his other daughter, Hillary, and their kid and her kids. Uh, and we'd come out, you know, we'd have a, a normal, regular, uh, middle class, you know, school year, uh, in public school and what have you. And, uh, and then during the summer, we'd be out in the Hamptons living, living it up. Well, in my grandfather's bedroom, he had a microphone and headphones on a dresser, um, maybe three or four feet away from his bed. And, I never really thought much of it until one day I saw him, uh, some technicians came in and were working on it. And I turned to my grandmother and I said, what, what, what is that? What goes on with that? She goes, well, you know how Papa's on the radio? I said, yeah. She goes, well, Papa, you know, does when he's out here, he can do his 60 seconds speaking of, uh, sports, uh, from, from the bedroom. I said, oh, that's cool. Can I watch him do it one day? Sure. Um, a couple of days later, I couldn't tell you chronologically how it worked out, but not shortly there, yeah, or quite shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother woke me up uh, early in the morning and said, hey, you know, if you want to watch Papa do his thing, sure thing. So uh, I went, and I sat on my grandfather's lap. He put the headphones on my head. 
uh, and he said, now I want you to say hello to my producer. His name is Eddie. And I said, hello, Eddie. And he goes, hi, Colin. And uh, and I said, so what do I do next? He said, well, I want you to say, uh, you know, hello, this is Colin uh, coming to you from West Hampton saying hello to everyone or something along those lines. And so I did, and I did my first air check uh, unknowingly. <laughs> And then, uh, and then he played it back for me and I was like, I was hooked. I said, I don't know what this witchcraft is, but I want in. Yeah. Uh, I watched, I watched Howard do his thing and then uh, that was it thereafter. I watched him do it as much as possible. And, uh, he gave me a couple mini tape recorders, uh, from his reporter days. I would sit there and do, uh, you know, fake commercials, fake radio broadcasts, uh, fake talk shows. And I did that all throughout my youth. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you could say the impact started the, the summer of 1985. That is, uh, that is amazing. Yeah. That is great. Now, I recall speaking of sports, uh, on my transistor radio, uh, listening to 77 WABC and all the top 40 hits of the day. And, uh, used to be able to hear Howard on the beach over at Robert Moses. Every radio would have WABC on and you'd hear speaking of sports. Uh, you could take a mile walk on the beach and you'd be listening to Howard the whole way. Uh, it was, it was just a, an amazing snippet of sports and, uh, just exhibited the, uh, the legendary status and, uh, the, the aspects of the career of Howard Cosell. We're speaking with Colin Cosell tonight on Sports Talk New York. Now, you, you were a goalie on your high school hockey team, Colin. Bill, you've done your research. That is accurate. <laughs> yes. How did you enjoy that? I mean, I, I loved it. Uh, hockey, I know I work in baseball, but hockey's always been my number one favorite sport. Oh, okay. Um, and my older, uh, my second oldest brother uh, was a uh, high school goalie, and he's, uh, well, he was a goalie all throughout. Um, he started playing much younger than me. He played uh, youth travel and, and the like, and he's eight years older than me. So, again, it was just uh, kind of that older influence. And I watched him play, and I loved the sport of hockey, but I loved the idea of being a goalie, which kind of gives you a glimpse into the, the scope of my sanity because uh, it takes a special kind of human to want to throw on 30 pounds of pads and have a three-inch disc of galvanized rubber shot at your face at 100 miles an hour. I just happen to be that kind of special. Um, gotcha. And so whenever, you know, we were playing street hockey in the neighborhood and whoever had the pads, I was like, you know, put me in net. Um, and then uh, I played roller hockey, and then I was afforded the opportunity to make the transition over to ice hockey. The uh, My high school, uh, King School in Stanford, Connecticut, they needed uh, – they are rebuilding their hockey program. They needed a goalie. Uh, one day I was wearing a, a Mike Richter jersey. And I know this is a Long Island station, so please don't let any of your fans eviscerate me. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. he was my, my favorite goalie on the, uh, on the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the hockey coach, who was also a math teacher, walked by me one day and he said, Colin, what, uh, you're a big Ranger fan? I said, yeah. He said, you're a big Mike Richard fan? I said, well, yeah. And I like to play in net. And he said, do you play ice hockey? And I said, well, I mean, I can speed kind of, but I can rollerblade. And he said, you want to play in our team? And my eyes lit up, and I was just like, "Yeah, let's do that." Nice. So I came home and I said, "Hey, Ma, you got another goalie on on your uh, basically on your bank account because it's not a cheap sport." Uh, my mom yeah. begrudgingly agreed, and um, we built up the program. And uh, actually, twenty five years later, King has one of the uh, the best uh, private teams in uh, Connecticut now. Here's another nugget for you, Colin. Uh, who someone who also was a goalie in school? I went to college with Linda Cohn. From, from, oh, yeah. From ESPN. And she was the goalie on the women's hockey team at Oswego. And uh, people don't know that, but uh, oh, yeah, she was a hockey player, too. And, and, so and pretty decent. My, 
Yeah, no, very much so, and a diehard Rangers fan as well, so we're very simpatico. Um, my That same brother who was a goalie who influenced me, he, out of college, got a, uh, a job with ESPN um, and ended up working his way into production, was there for a few years, but became friendly with Linda Cohn, and, of course, he joined the, their hockey team. So they were the two goalies, uh, Linda and, and my brother. Um, Small so world. Uh, yeah. 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 It really is. So I was one of the few that knew that, but that's because I had, I had you know, the inside track from my brother. Now, you interned on Saturday Night Live, too, Colin, which I find very interesting. Give us one good Saturday Night Live story. Oh, God. Where do I start? Um, so I think it was my first week, and, um, you know, I, we, I was working in the talent department, so we are the ones who were overseeing the guest host, the music guest, and all of the extras. Uh, and so that was up on the, uh, the 17th floor of 30 Rock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I realized after a couple of days of interning that I still hadn't seen the studio yet. And I turned to my boss and I said, hey, I've got a little downtime. Do you mind if I go down to, to the eighth floor and check out 8H? And he's like, no, go for it. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that was easy. So I'm walking down the hall. I will never forget, Bill, the smell when you get off the elevator. I can't explain it. I wish I could bottle it. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like, this uh, ambrosia and it was like a mix of like paint magic and glory and it was just i don't know it, it like i can smell it right now anyway <laughs> the smell hits me and i'm like wow this is awesome and i'm walking down the hall and i'm seeing all the pictures of past guest hosts and cast members and who's the first person i see walking down the hall is will ferrell and so i figured well i'm working in the talent department and we work pretty closely with the cast I said I should probably introduce myself. So I said, Mr. Farrell, my, my name is Colin Cosell. I'm a new intern in the talent department. Anything you ever need at any time, please don't hesitate to ask. Mm-hmm. And he uh, stops me and he goes, Colin. And I said, yeah. He, he pulls me in and he gives me this big hug. And he goes, don't worry, man. You're, you're going to be fine. You're going to have fun here. Welcome to the family. Nice. And I was just like, thank you. And then he puts his hands on my shoulders and he looks at me and he goes, did you say Cosell? And I said, yeah. He said, any relation to Howard? I said, it was my grandfather. And he goes, God, he goes, that's the one imitation I really just could never nail. Could you help me sometime? I said, absolutely. <laughs> Gave me a pat on the back, and he walked down the hall, and that was it. That was my, my first interaction with a cast member and uh, the first of many great memories in my short tenure. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, what, what an experience that was. Well, we're, we're talking a little bit about Howard. We're talking a little bit about you. Uh, probably Howard's most iconic call that people remember, of course, down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier when uh, George Foreman uh, knocked down Joe Frazier. Now, you found a way to incorporate down goes Frazier into the New York Mets, and I'd like you to tell the, the folks this, this story. Absolutely. Well, when I joined the team, uh, as you mentioned, in 2018, uh, my first game was Saturday, June 2nd. Uh, it was a night game against the Chicago Cubs, and of course, at that point, uh, uh, Joe Madden was the manager. So everyone said, you know, get ready for this because he likes to micromanage. You're going to really get baptism by fire, and they were correct. Uh, it was a 13 inning uh, Mets loss. Uh, we ended up losing six to three. Um, but uh, a member of that team was Todd Frazier, and so I, you know, I turned to my boss and I said, hey, would it be okay if I said, you know, if I get a little hat tip to my grandfather? by just saying Frazier with, like, a hint of, uh, of Howard in there. He's like, yeah, no, absolutely. He's like, you know, don't lose your voice in, in the process. So I would introduce, you know, the the, uh, the the first baseman, number 21, Todd Frazier. 
Um, <laughs> and then he said, you know, what you can do is uh, we'll we'll have some fun with it if he gets the uh, at that point he was sponsored by Nike, but the uh, the clutch play of the game. And uh, he said, you know, if Todd does something, a walk off or something like that, we'll take a look at what to do. And um, I guess it was about a month, <clears throat> excuse me, a month or so later, and uh, Todd hit a walk off home run. And he said, all right, I want you to yell, out goes Frazier, Todd Frazier's walk off home run, and the bottom of the ninth is your Nike clutch play of the game. Uh, so okay. I did just that. I said, out goes Frazier. Todd Frazier's uh, walk-off <laughs> home run in the bottom of the ninth is your Nike clutch play of the game. Um, and that was great. it. That, that, was, that was the start of it. But they, they did let me have some fun with it. And I got to talk to Todd about it. And actually, um, he I have a picture of him uh, wearing my grandfather's old mustard yellow ABC sports jacket that oh, uh, yeah. uh, that I, I brought in one day. We were doing a bit. And um, so I talked to Todd. And he was just like, yeah, I heard that, man. He was like, that's that is so great, big dog. He's like, do you mind if I put this on? I was like, yeah, you're big enough to wear it. I'm not. I put it on to look like a child dressing up like his dad. Because <laughs> um, Howard was a big guy. Uh, it hit him like a glove. And, uh, yeah, so that that brought it full circle. What a great story, folks. Uh, we're speaking with Colin Cosell tonight on the program. Now, back a few years ago, Colin, uh, during the pandemic, we uh, we were all kind of lost. We had no baseball. We didn't know what was going to happen next. But you did your part, really, to keep the fans involved. Let's talk about that. I mean, it was really it was more symbiotic than anything. It was, um, you know, just kind of a... Uh, it was it was a weird obviously it was a weird situation. My uh I had just gone on a family vacation with my wife and her family to Disneyland and that week that we were out there everything was getting canceled around us and actually the very next day, Saturday, March fourteenth, twenty twenty, uh Disney was shutting down, which was unthinkable. Oh yeah. Um and so, you know, we were looking at the world and, you know, baseball uh, was put on the back burner. It didn't look like we were going to have sports for any time soon, uh, at least for the rest of 2020 from the way it looked. It was very dire. And so, you know, everyone on Twitter was obviously kind of despondent and thrown off, and it was it was kind of dystopian and, and surreal. And so I thought to myself, you know, I had done something my first season with the Mets uh, that, that winter, uh, that December of 2018, because it was a tough transition for fans. You know, they'd had Alex Anthony in the booth for 17 years, uh, and he was suddenly gone, and, you know, Mets fans were, um, it was some growing pains, we'll say, but bringing me in. So I decided, you know, I want to make a connection with the fans, because I don't want to just be, I'm a fan too, you know, and I don't just want to be a voice talking at the back of their heads. I, I, I want to be a fan with them, and I would love to have some interactions with them and get to know them. Um, especially if they're, they're going to have to listen to me talk at them for three hours a night, um, you know, for however many seasons I'm, I'm blessed with this job. So mm-hmm. I put it out there on Twitter. I said, hey, you know, if you haven't thought of a Christmas gift yet or a Hanukkah gift or Kwanzaa, whatever it is you're, you're doing, and, um, you know, for free, I, the first ten people who get back to me, I'll record a call-up like I do at the ballpark. Just send me uh, the person's name, their jersey number, what position they play, and their walk-up song, and I will record and produce it so it sounds like it would in the ballpark. Right. Um, and it, I ended up getting about over a hundred submissions, which was fine. And I, you know, I did the ten that I promised, and then I ended up doing the additional ninety uh, thereafter. So, you know, it was just kind of building the rapport with the fans and, and so on. So I figured that weekend that the world was shutting down with the pandemic. 
why not resurrect us? Because they want to be in the ballpark, so do I. Uh, they want to be watching baseball. I want to be announcing the baseball players that they want to be watching. So why not bring the ballpark home to them? Um, you know, if you're playing wiffle ball in your backyard, here, here's your, your, you know, here's your family walking up the bat. Um, and for me, it was being able to just keep honing on my craft. And, um, it started off as a kind of a slow trickle. Um, but then, you know, we're just starting to get out there and a week or two later, uh, CBS radio did a, a bit, um, did a story on it and that suddenly garnered more attention. And then, uh, by, gosh, I'd say by, uh, by mid to late April, uh, it had gotten international attention, which was not my intention at all. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was crazy. I mean, I was doing uh, newscasts over in the UK and, you know, like Australia, like it was very random. Uh, and then I was just getting requests from around the world. And, um, by, uh, the end of May, I had acquired a job, a freelance gig, which ended up being, becoming my full-time day job. And I was suddenly running out of time, um, to get all of these things produced. So I actually had to finally cut it off and be like, all right, I, wherever the list is at, I'm stopping there. I promise I will get to all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I need to get through all of them because they were rolling in by the dozen, wow. uh, you know, by the day. And when it was all said and done by, I think I completed the last one mid-June, uh, I'd done over 1,200 of them. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty wild. So 1,200 over a, a seven-week span. Um, it was a lot of work, but it was extremely fulfilling. Uh, and so many people would reach out and tweet back at me videos of the people I did it for or that using the call-ups or, you know, story of, like, you know, my, we just lost a family member to COVID and you're bringing light to my family. My, I can't tell you how many times my oh, wife boy. and I sat there and watched these stories or read these stories and just cried because you didn't realize the impact you were making. Cause I'm like, you guys are helping me too, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a really, it was surreal, fulfilling and amazing. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very proud of that, but, uh, definitely not the way I intended it to go, but I'm very happy it went the way it did. You kept the fans connected and, and you really brought people together, uh, through your occupation and through baseball, which is, uh, a great avenue to take, uh, to keep people together. I want to ask you now about, uh, day to day. Do you practice? Do I, do I practice? Oh, yeah. Of course. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I practice every single day. I get an email with the Mets lineup, um, and when I'm getting ready to go to the ballpark, that's what I'm doing. Is I'm getting dressed. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I always it's just the way I am. I always take a shower before I go to the ballpark because it's at the end of a regular work day. So I just want to go in for my second job as fresh as I would for my regular job. Right. So when I'm in the shower, there I am. You know, leading off, it's always going to be the center fielder, number nine, Brandon Nimmo. Or at least it was that way for a long time, um, and then I'll just go through the starting lineup. And then when I get the opposing team, then it's, uh, you know, practicing all those names because some of them may not be familiar, uh, wanting to make sure I get pronunciations correct. Right. Uh, any acquisitions we make, and we've made a few recently, I don't know if you've heard, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I'll work on those names. And uh, just, you know, I, I learned from a gentleman named Reed Saunders, who's the PA announcer for the Colorado Rockies, and we met. Uh, in, uh, September of 2018, I just happened to be out there visiting my wife's family. We took in the game. Um, you know, I reached out uh, to them through the Mets and said, Hey, I'm a PA announcer. I'd love to meet your PA announcer. And we did. We became friends. And, uh, and, you know, he taught me invaluable lessons. Um, most notably, I said, 
you know, how do you go about pronouncing the players' names? Right. And he said, I have the player's name tell me how to say it. And I said, how do you mean? He said, hold on one second. He announced his next batter, uh, and he, he said, uh, you know, number, uh, I forget what number he was wearing at the time, you know, number 22, DJ LeMayhew. And I was like, oh, I see. And it kind of clicked. And because uh, everything I was doing, I was trying to make it sound like I was a, a boxing ring announcer, like, you know, this next batter is going to whoop your butt. You know, like, this is <laughs> yeah. uh, the main event, every batter. Uh, and it was blowing out my voice. I, I couldn't keep up. And then I was hearkening back to people that I respected, like Joe Tolleson, the, the PA announcer for the New York Rangers. Um, and, and so it, it kind of helped me build what I was going to be, be doing and, and finding my voice as a PA announcer. And practice, practice, practice was a huge part of that as well. Um, so yeah, I never, I, I never just sit back on my laurels. I'm, I'm practicing constantly. I, I will sometimes if, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about the strength of my voice or if it's a player I haven't, you know, seen before or announced before, I will announce it. I'll do a quick practice before I actually announce it. And it threw some of my coworkers off. They're like, your mic's not on. I'm like, I know I didn't hit the, I didn't <laughs> yeah, turn it on yet. Right. I was giving it a test run. Um, yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely. Because you know, ne- you never want to become complacent and you don't want to be, uh, caught off guard either. So, and the worst thing I can do is mispronounce a name. That is literally the cardinal sin of my job. That's mm-hmm. the one thing I would get attacked for by my, uh, by my higher ups. You know, what, what did you call that guy? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it happened to me once, never again. Uh, but yeah, always practicing. I can see, and it, it, it definitely shows, Colin, and uh, I'm sure everyone would agree with me there. I'd, uh, a few minutes ago, uh, let's talk about the Riptide. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you want to know? Because that's a completely what's, different what's, ball game. Yeah, what's going on over there exactly? Yeah, what, what's different? It's, uh, give us a little spiel on that. Uh, well, it's... So the difference about uh, it's an indoor box lacrosse team, professional indoor box lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Uh, so during the winter time, all of your professional lacrosse players who play in the PLL and MLL, um, they then play in the NLL, the National Lacrosse League, and um, it's basically it's lacrosse played in a hockey rink, but there's turf on top of the ice, uh, but the boards and everything are still up, penalty boxes, everything, um, and it's five on five. Uh, well. Six on six, if you include the goalies, and um, it it is super fast, super intense, and it's a blast. It's also kind of like an ongoing party because there's music playing the entire time. Um, all of these teams have their own DJs going on, like there's just constant music playing. And the role of the PA announcer isn't just announcing goals; it's not just announcing sponsors and doing you know ad reads and the like. I am paid, and I kid you not, Bill, to antagonize the opposition. <laughs> I I have free reign to make fun of the other team to high holy hell and to no end. And I was very timid with it at first, and my bosses were telling me, they're like, you can go another level. And finally they said, <laughs> listen, yeah. I want, they're, they're like, do you know where the line is? And I was like, no. They're like, we want you to find the line. We want you to dangle your foot over it, but we don't want your toe to touch the other side of the line. You that's, understand? That's I was great. like, yeah, I'm like, all right, guys, but you're playing with fire because I have a 17-year background in stand-up comedy. I'm a New Yorker who has got a foul mouth when I'm driving behind idiot drivers. <laughs> like, this is very dangerous territory. Um, but it, I then listened to a couple other PA announcers and what they do, and I learned that the guy who does it up in Buffalo, like, he actually incites a fight 
between players um, that, you know, and they nearly went after him as well. And I'm like, okay, so that's how far you can go with this. So I, I finally got a, a grip on that. And this season, like, it's become kind of my calling card. But I also make it very fan-oriented. Like, I'll grab a handheld and do some of my PA work up in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll get a bunch of kids together and have them start chanting, uh, let's go Riptide, because I know their voices are going to be high-pitched. Uh, and, you know, when the other team's on the attack, you've got five kids screaming at a, a decibel that, you know, mostly only dogs should hear, uh, <laughs> and it's going to annoy the opposition, and I thrive on that. So uh, my boss, who uh, the great Rich List, who's just one of the greatest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of working for. Good guy, yeah. Catch me one day. Yeah, Rich is amazing. And he said, uh, he's like, Colin, I want the lacrosse, what our brand of lacrosse at at the at the barn, uh, at Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum to be, um, it's the Tonight Show with Colin Cosell, and there just happens to be a lacrosse game going on. He said your your band is DJ Razor, who's the same DJ we have uh, for the Mets at City Field. He's the same DJ for the Islanders uh, at uh, UBS Arena. Um, we play off of each other very well. We know each other obviously from the Mets. Uh, and so it's, it is a free for all, uh, on the turf, but it's a free for all on the mic and the exact opposite of baseball where it's very structured, very scripted. Um, and yeah, I, there's more, more avenues for me to get in trouble, but more avenues for me to let my personality fly and, and have some fun. Um, so I encourage everyone to come check out a Riptide game because it's unlike any other sporting event you've ever experienced. Definitely. I was going to say, folks, head out there to the Coliseum and check out the Riptide. Uh, very entertaining. And a lot of kids are into lacrosse these days, so it certainly would be a night well spent. Well, Colin, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night from your family to spend it with us out here on the island. Uh, we'll see you back out at City Field this week. I will be there for the Cubs Monday through Wednesday, then the uh, Battle of the Badges, NYPD versus FDNY Thursday night, and then back uh, the next week for the Pirates uh, Monday through uh, Wednesday. So, Bill, thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure is always my friend, and, um, yeah, look forward to next time. That's it. That's Colin Cosell, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we will welcome in the maestro of Defender Stratocaster, Ingve Momstein. Stick around, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the show. We're back with Sports Talk New York here on WGBB. Well, our next guest. He first became known in the 1980s for his neoclassical playing style in heavy metal. In 2009, Time Magazine rated him as the number nine among the 11 greatest electric guitar players of all time. 
He will be at the Paramount in Huntington at 8 p.m. Wednesday, August 23rd. Special guest Glenn Hughes. You'll remember him from Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. I welcome to the show tonight, Ingve Momstead. Good evening, hey, sir. Hey, how, do- how you doing? Ah, we're doing great. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Great. Good. Glad, glad again that you're aboard, Ingve. Now, I did some research, and it seems at age 10, you had your first band, uh, Track on Earth, and you, you and a, another kid from school playing the drums. What kind of music were you guys playing back then? Yeah, it's, that's a funny story because <laughs> I was actually more like eight, actually. I was just a little kid, but I was already back then, um, kind of like, <laughs> Control. I said, I said to one of the kids in the class, I said, "Hey, uh, we have the gig on Friday." And he goes, "What? Yeah, we we have the gig on Friday. You playing drums? Uh, I don't play drums. It's okay. I can show you how to play drums. I don't have drums. I got drums set. Don't worry about it. I'll show you how to play drums." But that was like on a Monday, <laughs> and uh, so I just showed him how to hold down a beat, and I just uh, plugged it into an amp, and I was just went crazy for like. I don't know, half an hour or something. It was just kind of like jamming, you know. I was, I was just doing my solos and feedback and stuff like this. I was uh-huh. pretty interesting little kid. I was like eight years old, actually. Nice. Early start. That's the way to do it. Now, yeah. now as a teenager, uh, you were influenced by classical music, uh, Paganini, as well as Bach. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, what happened was I grew up in a family where everybody, you know, I was the youngest child and that my older siblings uh, were all musicians my mother was a singer my father was a singer bass uh, guitar player my grandfather was a drummer my uncle's opera singer and stuff like this so it was classical music and stuff around me all the time and I got my first guitar when I was five and I didn't really start to play until I was seven and I saw Jimi Hendrix smash a guitar up on TV because his day he died actually uh, the, on the news to show that so I go, wow, I want to play guitar. So I started playing guitar, and I wanted to play the blues and stuff like rock and roll. Like, that's what I wanted to do. I was just a little kid, like I said, seven years old. And uh, I got, you know, I was so into it that I, I, I got to, you know, get get, my, get get myself to go around the guitar pretty good. Yeah. You know, but just being a little kid. So I, I figured, you know, the pentatonic scale in blues is just five notes. You know, in rock and roll, it's five notes. Mm-hmm. But a harmonic minor or diminished or, or, or Phrygian notes, uh, you know, scales are, are more. And I heard Bach, I heard Vivaldi, Tchaikovsky, because it was all these records, the classical records in the house. And I said, wow, I'm going to try to play that on electric guitar, you know. And then eventually I heard Paganini, who is like the most extreme virtuoso violinist. You know, he lived in the 1800s, but... Yeah. was a recording of them, you know. Um, and so I, I started, like, applying, you know, classical violin techniques basically on the guitar, you know, which, which you don't play guitar like that. You don't have 16 arpeggios and stuff like this. So so it was a very different different uh, avenue, although I still kept the Marshall sax and the smoke machines, the double bass drum set, drum set. It was a hard rock sound, but with a... Tonality and, and you know, uh, virtuosity basically of, of uh, neoclassical, well, it became neoclassical. It wasn't really a term then, you know. Right. Um, and then, so when I came to America, uh, I came to Los Angeles in 1982, I think it was. Um, 
my way of playing was so alien to them, you know. They didn't know what was what the hell is going on because classical music is not as prominent, uh, especially I don't think in California in the eighties. Right. And so they didn't understand where where the sound came from, you know. And uh, so it was interesting, you know. Yeah, most people uh, that I talk to, Ingve. They cite the Beatles on Ed Sullivan is what drew them to be a musician. But it's great that you, you saw the day Hendrix died. They showed him on TV at, from Monterey Pop, smashing and burning his, his, his uh, gear up there. And that was cool, right? right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was too young for the Beatles thing, you know. I was, yeah. I, I, was in, so, so this was, I was really too young for the Hendrix thing, too. You know, most kids get into stuff when they're teenagers. But I thought I was seven. Uh, you know, the fact that I was I already had a guitar. So I started playing that. I just took the guitar off the wall. And I started playing that minute, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't stop. I just kept on going, you know. And the, and the fact that, I, you know, I had all this uh, other people around me, you know, that I, I basically learned all the music theory and, you know, all the, all the technical, you know, terms of, you know, uh, you know, scales and modes and, and all this stuff. And uh, so it, it was... It was uh, you know, it was a long time ago. There was no internet, obviously. And also, where I grew up in Sweden, there was no TV virtually. There was no radio. There was no video. There was nothing. It was like a, a media black hole, basically. Yeah. So you, you had to use your, ha- your head a lot. You know, you had to think a lot, you know. And then, you know, listen to records, maybe. You know, listen to records so you could learn some stuff from there, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, it was good. It was great. How does Richie Blackmore, another guy lives a few miles down the road, uh, how does he fit into your influence, Bay? Oh, man. Um, well, when I was eight years old, my eighth birthday, I got, for my birthday present, I got the Purple Fireball, which is the first song on the album, starts with double kick, bass drum, you know, double bass drum beat, you know, mm-hmm. and very heavy stuff. And you can understand, in, in, in those days, there was no... You know, obviously there was no MTV. There was nothing. It was like a, a void, really. So when I heard that, I was going, "Oh my lord, what is this?" So and then I didn't know who was playing guitar. I, di- I didn't know anything about anything. Nobody g- gave me any sort of. There was no information <laughs> about anything. But I loved it, you know. And uh, then of course the next album I got was, um, I think it was Main Japan, maybe in rock. And I loved mm-hmm. it, you know. I think he was uh, amazing. He's still amazing, you know. Yes, he, uh, he's yeah, he is. Like the high, he's a great guy. And uh, so, so yeah, so, so no, he he was uh, really, really amazing. Uh, I mean, I loved Clapton and Hendrix and, you know, all of them. You know, they're all great, you know. Uh, but, uh, no, he, he definitely, I think that, you know, in those, out of those three bands, Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, and Deep Purple, my favorite was Deep Purple. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people say, Ingve, that the uh, the greatest me- uh, metal bands were uh, Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. But in Sweden, the most popular was uh, Deep Purple, right? I, 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 well, at least for, the, the, you know, the place I was in, I was in Stockholm, you know, and there was, yeah. and like I said, there was nothing on the radio. But, you know, you, you knew kids in school and stuff like that, they would have, and let me tell you something. There wasn't one kid anywhere that I knew uh, in 1973 that didn't have Deep Purple Main Japan. I didn't know anybody who didn't have it. However, I never heard Sabbath. 
the first time I heard Sabbath was with Ronnie Dio, which I, I loved it. You know, it was great. But that was like long a time after, you know? Yeah. So that, that, that first Sabbath thing, you know, which is great. I love that stuff now. I mean, I, I love, it's fucking great. But, uh, um, it wasn't, but I, the, the, the one band that was huge when I was a kid was Kiss. They, they were like, you know, that, that was like the biggest, you know. Uh, yeah. every, everybody loved Kiss. You know, it was like a big, big thing. And, um, I mean, I thought it was good, you know, but it, they weren't my favorite. My, Deep Purple's my favorite for sure. Well, I'm talking now when I was in like second grade, third grade yeah. and stuff. <laughs> gotcha. We're speaking with Ingve Momstein tonight on the program. Now, you've worked with some great vocalists over the years. Uh, guys like Jeff Scott Soto, uh, Joe Lee Turner, Ripper Owens. Uh, any guys that you enjoy working with and, uh, made things better for you, whether it was live or in the studio? Well, it's a funny thing that because, uh, when, as I grew up, when I, as like I said, I was starting really, really early, you know. Uh, my, my group Rising Force, for instance, I formed in 1978. Mm-hmm. I was only, I was 14 years old. And I had 100 bass players and 100 drummers. And I was a guitar player and a singer. And I wrote all the songs. And I, I laid down the law, you know. And, and, uh, then I had, I had a band before then called Powerhouse. But anyways, so, so until I left for, for America in 82, um, I wrote everything, I sang everything, everything like this. And I joined the uh, band, Stainer, Steeler, and what was it? Alpha Class. I didn't join that, I actually formed that band. But, uh, um, and, and, and it was, I sort of fell into, uh, I guess, I suppose you could call it a sign of the times, like the 80s, where you, you had to have like a, a slick, almost like a commercial sound sometimes. And, uh, it was part of the, the, the game you had to play to get on MTV and everything like this. It wasn't exactly still what I wanted to do, but it, that's what I did. And I, even when I had singers, I would write the, the melodies and the vocal, the, the vocal melodies, and I would write the, the lyrics and everything. So they, they were all great, but uh, uh, it wasn't it wasn't something that uh, was came natural to me because I'm, I'm more in the favor of doing it all myself, really. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Any guitarists who are active now that you enjoy listening to Wing V? Uh, well, there's so many good ones. I mean, I I just don't, you know, I don't actively listen to guitar players. I kind of, I kind of, I guess when I was about, well, I don't know, 12, 11, 12 or so, I kind of like started listening to violinists. Uh-huh. So they came, my big things were Vivaldi, Paganini, Tchaikovsky, the, the classical violin works. And right. that became my biggest influence on the guitar. So, so my, my, I don't really have necessarily, I don't lean towards the guitar players. But I, I'd say my favorite guitar players are like, uh, Holdsworth, which he passed, but, uh, uh, you know, stuff like that, you know, that's more, yeah. more different. Not so much like rock and roll, you know. Although, I mean, Angus Young, Brian May, all of them, you know, all my friends, Vi, they all, they're all great. They're all good. Everyone's good. Yes. Yeah. But, but I'm not like necessarily going up. Oh yeah, I'm not listening to that. No, no, you know, I don't do that. Gotcha. Okay, we're speaking with Ingve Momstein tonight on the show. Now, I want to talk about your book a little bit. I know some guys who have read it. The title of the book, folks, you should check it out. It's a good read. Relentless. What does that title signify? Uh, well, you know, it's funny because I think that kind of that that is my personality in one word. 
I, that's, okay. I, exa- I'm, I'm exactly that. I am relentless, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in the sense where, where and that could be anything, you know. If I, if I decide this is going to be it, then there, there is no stopping till it's there, you know. And uh, that, could inf- that could include a lot of different things. For instance, if I decide I want another Ferrari, for instance, uh, it just doesn't happen by itself. You have to do a few things to get it, you know. You know so, yeah. Uh, so I, the reason that hit, hit me right now is because I just got another one. But uh, that's just for the way I am. I'm, I'm like that with everything. I was, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's funny that you mentioned the cars because that was my next question. How's the collection going? Any new Ferraris? <laughs> and you, yeah, you brought yeah. it right I, up. I just yeah. got one. I just got one for my birthday. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm up to six now. Six Ferraris. Okay. So. Yeah, I, that, I'm, that's six I, more I'm than I have. Not, I'm not nutty, nutty guy with that. You know, I, I, that's my other passion. You know what I mean? Everybody's got their thing, Yngwie. Some people collect books. Some people collect Ferraris. Everybody's got their thing. Yeah, I know. And uh, you made an appearance in the USA, and you played the national anthem in, in, before a baseball game. I want to ask you yeah, how... Yeah, more, more, more than once, actually. Yeah. More than once. How did you enjoy that, playing playing the Star Spangled oh. Banner for, for a bunch of people like that? Oh, uh, it's... it's I. I I don't even know how much, if I can explain to you how much I love this country. You know, I'm an American. You know, I've lived here for forty something years. Yeah. I can say myself, I'm not. I'm not Swedish. I'm not Swedish. I'm American. You know, mm-hmm. God bless America. I love this country. I love everything that it stands for, and uh, this constitution, and the fact that that, that I came here with a guitar and a toothbrush, and and I I worked hard, and I I got everything I dreamt of was was uh get, given uh opportunity to me you know i mean it was nothing's for free obviously but 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 uh this country has that it's no cliche land opportunity but trust me it, it is it really is you know there's no nothing stopping you there you know and uh so when i got uh, asked to play that anthem i did it more than once i've did i've done it um um i don't know what they call the stadium now but miami dolphins play uh, I, I, th- I think that place like, is gone, Sun Life Stadium. I think they might have torn that place down. No, 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 no. It's still there. Oh, all right. They, yeah. They they have a Formula One race there now. They do the tennis in Miami Open. They're, they're oh, great. all so right. It's very active. It's Sun Life. They, it, it, it was called Sun Life. It was right. called Robbie Stadium. Joe Robbie Stadium, yeah. Hard, hard, Rock, hard Rock Stadium, I think. Yeah, you're right. Might, mm-hmm. You know, I think, but no, it's, it's very much there. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, so before Marlins had their own stadium, I played for them there, which was amazing, because you know, I mean, it's a massive, it's great. You know, it's really, really cool. And I did it twice in the, in the Marlins stadium. And I've done it, you know, in other events too, some ba- basketball stuff, and um, uh, you know, uh, 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 some awards. I've done it, you know. Yeah, I uh, did for uh, some heavy metal war levels, and I do it every night on my own stage here in America. Nice. Or, or, yeah, in America, I do it every night. You know. Now, now, do I'm you a proud American. Do you like any sports, Ingve? I absolutely. I'm a, f- a football. Okay. I can't wait. I I I love I love I mean I, every time Dolphins play, I'm I'm like glued to the TV. You know. Yeah. 
I know they're not always doing so good, but I, I love them anyway. Oh, and, I, know. I, I, tennis, I hear you. Tennis. I'm a tennis player, actually. Oh, nice. I have, old, I have old tennis court, and I have a tennis coach, and I, I love to play tennis, and I love to watch tennis. Yeah. Oh, I love it. You know, my, fa- my favorites, don't, they don't play anymore, like Federer, you know. Uh, and they, they don't play anymore, but still, you know, it's it's a great sport. It yeah. is. But, tennis, football, football, though, I mean, that, that, to me, it's like, you know, it, it's the greatest. I love it. I totally love it. It took me a long time to get into it because, it, you know, coming from Europe, I didn't understand the rules, you know. But once I started getting it, that last, I don't know, I guess 20 years or so, I'm, that's my favorite, for sure. Yeah, that, I hear what you're saying about the Dolphins, Ingvay, because I'm a lifelong Jets fan, and I bet you the Dolphins are going to be on top of the Jets this year. Uh, it, it's never a good year for the Jets, even though we got Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, but I, I know you guys. <laughs> it gives me something to look yeah. forward to, but the, they always disappoint me in the end, you know? <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> it's, it's like, what? The, how the hell? What's wrong with you guys? What are you doing? <laughs> how, who, who made that call? You know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah. So a couple, I, couple know, of weeks. We got a couple it. of weeks. It's such a great sport. Yeah, and uh, it draws such big crowds over here. And we got a couple of weeks to go till those guys start up. But before we go, Ingve, I want to ask you about. Your Stratocaster. A lot of people want to know about the scallop fret bar. Uh, when did you start playing that, and what what does that give you? Okay, so so basically, uh, if anybody plays guitar, they they know that this, if you have like tall frets and big frets, and they call them jumbo frets, mm-hmm. it, it makes it a little little more smoother bending and stuff. And it's the same concept, you know, to have very big frets, but you carve the wood out instead. But what I do. I have the wood carved in between the frets, and I have jumbo frets. So it's like you can you can drive a freight train on top of it, you know. Yeah. And it's just it's a weird thing that I've done. I, I guess since I was a teenager, because I was um, I took a, I was I didn't want to go to school, so they let me take be, be an um, apprentice at the luthier shop. It was like the old one that when it did the violins and lutes and stuff from the 18th century, you know. And uh, this old lute came in, 1600 lute, and they had like really old wood carved out, you know, like it did look, that looks really cool. So I started doing that on one of my necks, and I just kept on doing it, you know, yeah. and, I, and I like it. And then now, I mean, I mean, I can, I can play without it too, obviously, but it, no, I prefer that, you know. Yeah. And I have a Fender Stratocaster seam to mold from Fender, which I'm very proud of, you know. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. And they, they, they got my signature pickups from Simo Donkey and stuff like that. They come in there. It's a beautiful guitar. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yes. A little plug there, folks, for Ingve's, uh signature, uh, Stratocaster there. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the Paramount in Huntington, Ingve, uh, August 23rd, 8 p.m. The show will start. What can the fans, uh, out here expect at the show? Uh, well, everybody, everybody's got, you know, uh, I mean, I, I know I'm going to give 200% that, that I'm not going to hold back. Uh, and Glenn's going to be great. And uh, everybody's going to be great. It's going to be an awesome show. And then we have another band opening up, you know. Uh, so it's going to be awesome. 
And I just want to ask you quickly, Inve, your first uh, interactive guitar video, uh, a class on True Fire. That looks like it's doing well. Yeah, uh, you know, they're just here in Tampa. I'm just in Miami, so so it wasn't that far to get there. But uh, they, they they asked me to do it, and 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 I said, eh, I don't know. I've done many. I've done a lot of those things. But when I saw what they're doing, I said, Oh no, this is really good mm-hmm. uh, because they, they they go way more in, in into you know the interact. It's very interactive, like you said. You know. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoy doing that, and I hope people dig it. You know, it's, it, it came out nice. Yeah, what what it is? It's an inter- interactive masterclass on True Fire, folks. And Ingve uses uh, a, a variety of backing tracks pulled from ten of his most popular songs as a framework um, for, for the masterclass. And he demonstrates his creative process. Uh, you'll see all his technical skills and and his insights. It, it's been out since July 31st. Check that out, folks. Well, Ingve Momstein, it has been an honor and a pleasure. I thank you for uh, my pleasure. Thank you. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us up here in New York. Uh, uh, again, folks, Ingve oh. at the Paramount on Wednesday, the twenty third, with Glenn Hughes. And uh, anything else to the for the folks, Ingve? Just uh, hope to see everybody out there, and we can have a great time. Wonderful, It'll be an awesome show. Thank you, Ingve. We will see you at the Paramount, ladies Bye-bye. and gentlemen. Ingve Momstein. Well. We'll, we'll uh, cut the rope a little bit early tonight. Uh, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. Uh, thank my guests, Colin Cosell and the great Ingve Momstein, my engineer Brian Graves, and, of course, you guys for joining us. I'll see you next on Sunday evening, the 20th of August. We'll skip a week and be with you the 20th. It's sort of an Ed Crane pool night on the program. We celebrate Eddie's new book, uh, the author will be with us. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the Hall of Fame candidacy that we're trying to get through of the great Dummy Hoy. And uh, a side note, Ed Cranepool will be signing his book uh, tomorrow night in the Rotunda at City Field, uh, 6.30 p.m. So you can get your book signed by Eddie there. Uh, it's called uh, The Last Miracle, a really a great book from Ed Cranepool. Till then, folks, be safe and be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.